0: Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board-certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey, 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 y'all. Happy Sunday night. It's another episode of the Brain Love Podcast podcast. You guys know it's Sunday night, every Sunday night at 8 p.m. I drop a new episode of the Brain Love Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Dalvina. Every Sunday night, you guys have been tuning in for almost two years now. May 2022 will be two years. I'm so excited. Someone asked me, what are you going to do for your 100th episode? I'm not sure yet, but I want to try to make it a special special episode. But anyhow, tonight, I'm talking about two different things. I'm talking about Kwanzaa tonight. Happy Kwanzaa to everyone. For those of you who don't understand what Kwanzaa is or the meaning behind Kwanzaa, I'm going to explain that to you. And then I have a guest who will be on the couch with me tonight. Her name is Dion, Dion Polite, and the last name is so fitting for her. Miss Polite is going to be talking to us about her recent challenges, her recent challenges with ovarian cancer. So make sure you stay on. If you can't stay and listen to the whole episode, come back and listen and listen and um, hear from Dion because, um, man, she has so many things to be grateful for and thankful for. But before I bring her on the couch, I just want to go into a little bit of Kwanzaa. Everyone, happy Kwanzaa to you. And um, I have a good reason as to why people should adopt Kwanzaa as their new winter holiday instead of Christmas. And I know some folks are probably like, "Okay, now that is not right. That is wrong to tell folks not to celebrate Christmas, but to switch over to Kwanzaa. The reason why I'm saying this is that um, there are so many um, misinterpretations of Christmas. There are so many debates about Christmas and when Jesus was born and all of these things and I think most of us barely understand it. Christmas like Hanukkah is rooted in religion whereas Kwanzaa is rooted in spirituality and culture and family and if you keep listening you'll hear why I am saying this. So check it out you guys. Christmas for so many people is a terrible time. It's a time of joy for some, and for others, it's a time for sorrow. It has become a dreaded holiday for many people. I'm sure some of you have heard of the holiday blues. And I wanted to bring to you um, a song to start this. To start this discussion I'm bringing to you Boys to Men Why Christmas? Now listen to what This man says I think for some of you So that you don't Go into a depressive state Every year at this time um, Here we go Sometimes
1: by time Yeah I just get depressed Man this ain't no time Of the year to be depressed It's a time to be happy And giving
0: man You know sometimes I think about Things that's happening In the world today Things that didn't happen
1: we all feel that way sometimes,
0: but it'll be all right. I just, I just wonder why. Okay, so you heard him saying that every year he just gets depressed, and I think it's because for many people Christmas has been rooted in spending money, in addition to spending family time. But there are so many memories that are connected to Christmas, and really these memories are somewhat. Hear me, I'm going to say empty memories. And what I mean by empty is this. There's really no meaning behind what we do. Oftentimes, a lot of us are spending money and we're spending money to buy gifts that a person has asked for. And then we wrap it up and they unwrap it as if they don't know what it is when they do. We also lie to our children and tell our children that Santa Claus is a fat white man that comes down the chimney and drops all these toys under the Christmas tree. And I get it. We do this because we want to have fun with our children. We want to have a good time with them. It's something that's been passed from generation to generation. But you don't always have to accept what is taught to you, right? Sometimes we have to question the traditions that we're taught. We got to question these things and wonder if we're really doing the best thing. And I think if folks were to convert over to a celebration of Kwanzaa, which is an annual celebration. Also, I believe that there's more meaning behind this, and it would make it much more, much easier for folks to cope with this time of the year, as opposed to developing the holiday blues every, every year. Kwanzaa is an annual celebration of African American culture. It begins on today, December 26th, every year, and it goes until January 1st, and it's a communal feast. It's culminated, I'm sorry. At the end, there's a communal feast. It's called Karamu. Karamu, which is held on the sixth day, that being December 31st. And if you didn't know, Kwanzaa was created by Malana Karanga. So it's based on African harvest festival traditions from various parts of Africa, including the West, of course, because we know most of African Americans, their ancestors and Slavery, they came from the West Coast of Africa, and it's also based on traditions in Southeast Africa. The first year that Kwanzaa was celebrated was in 1966. So guys, Kwanzaa, I believe, has more meaning, more spiritual meaning, more cultural meaning. If you hear my dog chewing on this bone in the background, forgive me, but I don't want to kick her out of my studio area. So as I stated, Kwanzaa was first celebrated in 1966. So it began after the aftermath of the Watts riots. It is specifically an African-American holiday. Now, what are the Watts riots? These riots took place in the surrounding areas of Los Angeles from August 11th to August 16th, 1965. And so the goal of Karinga and starting Kwanzaa he said was to give blacks an alternative to the existing holiday of Christmas and give blacks an opportunity to celebrate themselves and their history rather than simply imitating the practice of the dominant society. Mm. Yeah. So Karinga, he was a major figure in the black power movement in the 60s and the 70s. And so he wanted to give us something with more punch, with more impact, something That gives us identity, purpose, and direction. And you'll see what I mean when I go into discussing how we celebrate Kwanzaa. Because Kwanzaa is based on the seven principles. There are seven principles. There are seven principles of African heritage. And when you hear what these principles are, you're going to understand it. It'll make sense to you as to why this has more meaning than Christmas. So... You know, I gotta throw in some mental health in here. So this gentleman, Karinga, he believed that Jesus was psychotic, and that Christianity was a white religion. And his sentiment was that black people should shun Christianity. Now, I'm not saying that. I grew up a Christian as as well. But it's interesting to me that Karunga believed that Jesus was psychotic. Hmm. So as, you know, eventually at some point in time to gain support and not to alienate Christians, he altered his position on this. So he said it was an alternative way to celebrate and it wasn't created to give people an alternative to their religion or their religious holiday. So, but a lot of African-Americans who celebrate Kwanzaa, they do so in addition to observing Christmas. There are some people who observe Kwanzaa only and not Christmas. But um, Kwanzaa, it's all across the United States. It's also celebrated in some other, um, all across the the globe, all across the world, actually. Every continent has a celebration of Kwanzaa, including in Africa. Now, remember, although this is based on African tradition, this is not not a tradition that was founded in Africa. This was founded in America. So it's often observed by African-Americans who are, most of us are parts of the African diaspora. And so this is a cultural and ethnic celebration. It celebrates unity and culture. You still have some gift giving, but it's not, I don't think, I don't believe it's as materialistic as Christmas. So there's seven principles Each principle is celebrated on one of the seven days. Recall I said that Kwanzaa begins on December 26th and it ends on January 1st. It ends with a big celebration. So each of the seven days starting with the 26th is dedicated to one of the principles. The first principle is a moja. in Swahili means unity. So the seven principles comprise a word, a Swahili word, which means common, it's called Kawaida. If I'm mispronouncing that, send me a, a message and let me know. But today is dedicated to umoja, to unity. We should strive for and maintain unity in our families, community, nation, and our race. I love that. I really do love that. Umoja, unity. Let's strive for and let's strive to maintain unity in our family. So, start inside your home first. You start in your home. You want unity amongst your children, with your significant other, with your parents, with your, the, your brothers and sisters, and cousins and aunts. And, you know, everyone try to come together and get on the same accord. So, unity in the family. And once you have unity in your family, you can spread that out into your surrounding community. In your neighborhood, in your development, in your community, including, could include your church, community, and your nation. So participating in politics and being a part of those types of movements and being involved, especially in our governing system, and unity in our race. So today, December 26th, is a celebration or observance of unity, a Tomorrow, December 27th, is Kuji. Chagulia, Kujichagulia, which is self-determination. This helps to define and and name ourselves, as well as to create and speak for ourselves. So self-determination. This is to define and name ourselves, as well as to create and speak for ourselves. On the 28th is collective work and responsibility, which is Ujima. This is to build and maintain our community together and make our brothers and sisters problems our problems and to solve them together. So don't do things on your own. Don't do them alone. Get a mentor, work with someone else, talk to other people, collaborate, help one another. Don't just seek help, but help others as well. I, you know, I've sought help in my, in in the things that I've done, and I still seek help from others. And I also try to pay that back by helping other people. Number four, day four is Ujama, Cooperative Economics, Ujama cooperative, cooperative economics, Ujama. This is to build and maintain our own stores, our shops and other businesses and to profit from them together. So we have more and more Black-owned businesses. This is a representation of Ujama. This is building and maintaining our own stores and shops and businesses. Day five is Nia, purpose. Let's make our collective vocation the building and developing of our community in order to restore our people to their traditional greatness. So Nia is day five. Nia in Swahili is purpose. To make our collective vocation the building and developing of our community. Day six, kumba, which is creativity. To do always as much as we can in the way we can in order to leave our community more beautiful and beneficial than we inherited it and day seven the last day is umani faith through faith we can do all things to believe with all with all of our hearts and our people our parents our teachers our leaders and the righteous and victory of our struggle imani is faith this is the last day this is day seven so kwanzaa has celebratory symbols which include a mat and on the mat on the mat mat is where you place other symbols such as the candle holder for the seven candlesticks because each candle represents each day which each day is a representation of the seven principles that i just gave you umoja kujichagulia ujima ujama nia, kumba and imani so there's a, a candle holder for the seven candlesticks there's the seven candles there's crops okay also corn, the corn represents the children celebrating. So it's one corn for each child in your family. And if you don't have any children, it's one corn for the children in the community. There's also a unity cup for commemorating and giving shukrani. Shukrani in Swahili is thanks to our African ancestors. And then there's the zawadi, which are the gifts. So we have these seven symbols. Alrighty. So I hope I got you guys off to the perfect start and considering observance of Kwanzaa and celebrating Kwanzaa. I think I'm going to really go all out next year and celebrate Kwanzaa. Who knows? I might go to another country and do this. I'm actually going to Africa tomorrow on day two of Kwanzaa. I will be headed to the motherland and I'm so excited about it. I won't tell you where I'm headed. You'll have to watch me. You will have to follow me on my social media on my Instagram page, which is Dr. Delvina, Dr. Short, Dr. Delvina Diaz and Delta E L V I S and Victor E N A, and also to be on Facebook, I have a Facebook page for the Brain Love Podcast. It's the Brain Love Podcast. So follow me, and you'll see what I'm doing each day of Kwanzaa. So today is about unity. My son is home. He was away during the last couple of days celebrating Christmas but he's home today. And so maybe we'll go do do dinner together or something like that. So continue to read about and study Kwanzaa. Learn about it, man, because I think this is a good way for us to transition away from really giving so much energy and emotions to Christmas. I'm not saying that you don't have to celebrate Christmas. If you want to put up a Christmas tree and do things like that, you can. If you want to go to church still, you can but give more energy to something that has more meaning behind it. And I know people are like, Jesus is the reason for the season. Lord, forgive her. I'm not trying to put no one down. I'm just saying people get the holiday blues with Christmas. So switch over and and discover something new that has more concrete meaning. All right, guys. So thanks for listening to me about Kwanzaa. I'm going to bring Miss Polite on. She is here And we are going to be on the couch very soon. So we're going to take a quick break. Come back with us. Okay. We're talking ovarian cancer. So, guys, we're going to transition and um, get into this conversation with Ms. Dion Polite. We're talking about ovarian cancer. Women from the African diaspora are disproportionately affected by high grade and aggressive ovarian tumors. That's where we're talking about this tonight. Dion's going to share her story of how her mother was diagnosed with ovarian cancer at the age of 84. And during her mother's battle with ovarian cancer, Dion herself was diagnosed. So in the United States, the mortality due to ovarian cancer is decreasing overall. However, you know how it goes with us Black folks. Black women continue to have lower survival rates and higher rates of recurrence. So we're surviving less and we have more occurrences of the ovarian cancer than non-Hispanic white women. We are also more likely to develop resistance to chemo Now, that's a huge thing. We're more likely to develop resistance to chemotherapy. We know also that the frequency with which various subtypes of ovarian tumors are diagnosed in black women differs than in white women. For example, we're more likely black women are more likely to have germ cell and another a tumor called stromal cell tumors, and less likely to have epithelial ovarian cancers. I'd like to say I'm not an oncologist, but I believe the germ cell and stromal cell are more aggressive type of tumors. And so we know that genomic medicine is also underutilized in the Black population. Black women have been medically and scientifically marginalized We have persistent differences in disease causes and outcomes which get dismissed as a side effect of socialization of race, and this is absolutely not the case we got to do more to acknowledge the harm in this type of thinking, so that we can improve the treatment of black women with aggressive cancers. Like ovarian cancer, so stay here and listen to this interview that I have with Miss Dion Polite, and you're going to you're, you're you'll hear about the factors that resulted in the racial disparities in her healthcare. She turned out to she ended up with a um, a great oncologist, gynecology oncologist. That's someone who specializes in women's health as it relates to cancer. So you got to hear this conversation with Ms. Dion Polite and myself. The other thing I want to tell you is that black women are less likely to have the genetics of their tumors analyzed. So if you, you know, God forbid are diagnosed with some sort of cancer, talk to your doctor about the genetics of your tumor. This itself can exacerbate disparities in the treatment that a woman receives because it limits cancer prevention opportunities in family members. So it, it exacerbates the disparities in the treatment they receive and not knowing the genetics of the tumor can limit cancer prevention opportunities for, for family members. So that's why I did this interview with uh, with Ms. Dion because black women are disproportionately affected by ovarian cancer than non-Hispanic white women. And it ain't just about lack of awareness, the socioeconomic factors. It ain't about just those two things, man. There's more to it than that. There's more to it. And ovarian cancer, when it's diagnosed at an advanced stage, is associated with a poor prognosis, even after aggressive treatments. So the learning piece in here is that I want you, well, you know, listen to the interview with Dion and, and, and me. And I'll wrap it up for you at the end. I'll give you a summary and things that you should do and recommendations to you. But I want you to understand that ovarian cancer is can be lethal and it's a very serious type of cancer. And if you have a surgery, please make your surgeon or your doctor explain to you everything that they did. Explain to you everything that they did. And also, just know this you can have genetic mutations that can be inherited. So, if you have a family member, there's a woman in your family or a man with breast cancer, or there's a woman in your family with cervical or ovarian cancer or some type of uterine cancer, that can be inherited. Genes, gene changes related to ovarian cancer. And also uh, we can inherit genetic mutations because we don't know what the exact risk factors are associated with ovarian cancer, but we do know that we can inherit genetic changes and those genetic changes are, can be what leads to a type of cancer. So please join me on the couch with Miss Polite. It's taking place right now. Hey, hey, guys, as I told you, I have a special guest tonight on the couch with me. I'm here. I'm joined by Miss Dion. Polite. Hey. Hey. Thank you so much. Thank for you for coming. having me. Oh, yeah. I was just thank telling you. you thank Are you. you. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah.
1: First of all, it's you. You can ask me anything. And second of all, you know, the subject matter is, is uh, I think it's urgent enough for us to um, at least begin a conversation about it.
0: Yeah, man. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, um, we have to share information because oftentimes what I find in our communities, people just don't know things. Yeah. They just don't know. And so we know in the medical community that African-American women with ovarian cancer, on average, they don't survive as long as non-Hispanic white patients. So, I'm so happy that you're here with me to talk to me. Um, you have a personal story because not only were you diagnosed with ovarian cancer, but your mother had been diagnosed with ovarian cancer cancer as well.
1: That's very true. It, it, and, and truth be known, my, mother is the one, my mother's diagnosis, I think, is what saved my life, right? So in August um, 2020, mom um, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and had surgery. And the oncologist um, said to her, you know, you, you're going to need some, some uh, chemo treatments. And my mother, um, 84, said, actually, she was 83 at the time, said, no, um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go through that. She's old school Caribbean. And so she was like, yeah, no, I'm not going through that. Um, I'm going to do my natural methods and so on and so forth. And, you know, I'm the oldest of four, and despite my pushing back and saying, mom, this is you're not going to drink brown water and get rid of it. I I think you need to follow what the guy is saying. And uh, she says, well, you know, it's between what I want to do and what God wants me to do. And so I'm going to do it my way. So she started drinking like, um, she was already, she didn't eat red meat, but she stopped, she stopped all meat altogether. And she started um, like uh, having smoothies in the morning with kale and ginger and beets and uh, drinking sour soft tea and, that kind of stuff, which used to frustrate me. She lives in, she was in Georgia. And mm-hmm. um, and in August, um, well, actually before then, around June, she started having um, stomach issues. And that's the reason why she had gone to the doctor last year anyway. She was having stomach issues. She's a petite woman and her belly had gotten really bloated. And she kept on saying to me, I don't know what's happening. you know, my stomach is just getting so big and it feels so hard. And um she was um she had had a close relationship with her general practitioner and she went to see her and um the the GP referred her straight away to um a um an, an oncologist, a GYN oncologist. And um and she received the diagnosis um in August and had the surgery in August as well. So anyway, fast forward, um she did not, as I said, she did not seek the follow-up treatment and, um, was told in June, 2021, that she probably had six months to live. Mm. And we were floored. I was, I, I was out of my mind crazed because I was like, you know, my mother is a, uh, got a PhD in clinical social work, you know, so she's not, she's an intelligent woman, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, very much a researcher and 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 all of that stuff but she didn't well to me she didn't do her due diligence because she didn't follow what was suggested of her medical team so anyway so we thought her birthday would have been december 15th and we thought okay so we at least have until december to celebrate her celebrate her life and and just you know make this the best six months it could be i started going back and forth between here in florida to georgia um, every other weekend just to be there and, you know, just to love on her. And uh, my sister, my youngest sister, who um, was in Houston, start, actually moved from Houston to um, to Georgia to just be close by. And then I have another sister um, who was also in Georgia, with my brother. And we started, you know, we took turns and the like, and we watched her decline and um, decline physically. I could see what was happening physically. Um, she never complained about any pain or anything like that. And in one of her follow-up visits to the doctor, the doctor told my sister, you guys need to, and this was around, um, July, you guys need to, um, reach out to the, uh, hospice, um, center. And we were like, what the hell? No, we got till December. Um, but nevertheless, we followed through. Um, Abby called them, you know, made the appointments, whatever, they started coming because they said, yeah, the timing was good. Um, My mother died on August 26th. She, you know, we watched her. We watched her fade away to next to nothing. Um, She never once complained, um, but she died. And in the process of me going back and forth, I started feeling like lower back pain. I started feeling my belly hurting and I got bloated. And I was thinking, well, it's because I'm eating all this airport food. I'm a little stressed because I'm traveling during COVID, you know, and I'm trying to do everything I can to be like whole for my family and then also be present for mom. Um, So I, you know, I would tell her as we would sit down and talk and she would say, go get it checked out, go get it checked. And I said, yeah, nah, it's fine, mom. I probably just need to have a really good bowel movement. She's like, no, go get it checked out. And, um, You know, when I had, I had left one of my trips in July, she said to me, promise me when you call, when you get back, you're going to call your doctor and, and let them see you just tell them, you know, just tell them you're having belly aches and, you know, and see what they say. And I had actually,
0: Dion, before, before you go into that part of the story, I just want to tease out a couple of things just to be sure that my listeners are following. So your mother was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 2020.
1: Yes.
0: And what's your mom's last name?
1: Abrams, Doreen Abrams is her name. So
0: Dr. Abrams. You said she had a PhD in social. Yes. Work. Yes. That's right. So Dr. Abrams was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 2020. How old was she when she was diagnosed? 84. Wow. And you mentioned that what your mom noticed was that she had increased girth of her, yes. um, her abdomen. So her, in her midsection, yes. she noticed it, it grew, it grew in size. It was bigger than usual. Yes. Okay. And then, um, once she went in and they recommended to her certain medical interventions to treat the cancer, do you remember what they recommended to her besides surgery? I'm sure. Chemother- they said- mm-hmm.
1: No chemotherapy. He said she needed at least six sessions of chemo.
0: Gotcha. Did, they removed her, her ovaries, correct? Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so they did, they did the surgery and the type of cancer she had was something called clear Okay. And um, what the oncologist said is that it moves rapidly and it can cannot often be detected during surgery. Mm, so yeah. um, in order the, to ensure that she would be okay, that's they wanted to do the chemo.
0: Yeah. Did they do a full hysterectomy?
1: Mommy had a hysterectomy in her, well, she thought it was a full hysterectomy in her thirties. And, um, but what they had done is that they, they removed everything, but the ovaries and the fallopian tubes,
0: Mm. which
1: coincidentally is the same thing that happened with me.
0: Okay. So yeah, just, um, just so folks know that is actually pretty common when a woman has a hysterectomy, typically they'll remove your uterus and, um, they'll leave your ovaries. So they leave the ovaries because our ovaries make female sex hormones. So if you're a woman and you're in your twenties or your thirties, or even your forties, because you haven't hit menopause yet, if you have a hysterectomy, they're going more than likely, unless there's some abnormality with your your ovaries, they're going to remove just your uterus. They're not going to take your ovaries because the ovaries, they are the, um, two structures that they're located inside of our pelvis. The pelvis is the area under your abdomen. So obviously, you know, your midsection is where your stomach and your intestines are located. And then right underneath that is the pelvis. And the pelvis is where our female genitalia is housed, our female sex organs. So the pelvis is where we carry our babies when we're pregnant. There's an ovary on each side of your uterus. The ovaries make female sex hormones, you guys have probably heard of estrogen and progesterone. And the ovaries are what produce the eggs, our eggs. So when we conceive, obviously, it takes having an egg and also sperm. So the estrogen and the progesterone are responsible for regulating our menstrual cycle. They're responsible for the development of secondary sex characteristics, such as, you know, when we we begin puberty and we start uh, developing breast and we begin to menstruate those hormones that are made mainly by the ovaries are what are the factor those are the, the things that are involved in our sexual development so ovarian cancer develops from cells that are found in those ovaries those cells actually begin to grow out of control and they can become malignant. And sometimes these cells can also spread into other parts of the uterus. So oftentimes, if a woman has not had a hysterectomy yet, has not had her uterus removed, then the recommendation if you have ovarian cancer will be to do a full hysterectomy, which means take the uterus and take the the ovaries. Because one thing we don't know is this When there are malignant cells or there's some sort of cancer, the doctors and the surgeons cannot be 100% sure that a piece of cell, a piece of cell from that cancer from the ovary did not get away and escape that area and travel to another part of the pelvis, meaning go into the uterus if you haven't had a hysterectomy yet. Um, so... They recommended to to Dr. Abrams to have chemo, and your mom your mom said no. Right. She right. was eighty four. That's exactly what
1: happened. Yeah, she's eighty four, and and as we say, she was own way. You know, she wants to do it her way. Um, very independent. You know, um, my dad had just died a couple of months before then in February from complications of dementia. So, um, you know, had been her childhood sweetheart been married uh 60 years and um dad was gone mm-hmm. so he said no um so uh as i uh, um continue on so i came back home in july did oh, miss polite i'm
0: sorry to interrupt you again yes no no just an, just another question when they told you and your your um siblings that your mom had six months to live when they gave her that prognosis and said she only had six months, had there been a change in the cancer? Like, had it spread anywhere else or was it still contained? Yes.
1: Yes. And you know what? Thank you for, for um, stopping me because I needed to, to share that. Yes, it had spread. It had spread to the lungs, to the bowels. Um, hmm. I believe, not the pancreas, but it had spread. It had, and that's what had happened and she she actually um had uh secured um treatments from a, a homeopathic another another uh doctor who would um look at her blood um she would go and give her blood every week and that doctor too said that it was about um at that time about quality of life um as opposed to anything else so yeah. that's where we were yeah
0: Okay. So your mom had told you that she noticed her belly, her abdomen, her, her midsection seemed bigger. And during this time that you're traveling back and forth to Georgia to spend time with your mother, who basically had just been given a poor prognosis, pretty much you also noticed some changes in your physical. Right. Well-being.
1: Right. Right. And I assumed that it was because I, I, because I was on the rush, um, traveling back and forth and I was a little stressed with, covid being ever present i assumed that that was the reason why that was happening um but it was not um you know i just sort of ignored um certain signs that i had seen and
0: um can you tell us what that you was, noticed
1: so i i actually started to um get uh, uh um, urinary tract infections. I had never had a urinary tract infection in my life. And, um, I started to get those. And then, um, just nauseous all the time, had a, um, diagnosis of, uh, IBS and, um, you know, started, they started giving me medicine that I'd never taken before. And it was more than just IBS. It was, you know, they kept saying, okay, well, let's just do some scans. And it was the scans that actually, um, said to my, that my doctor actually said, okay, I think you need to see a GYN. Um, cause I hadn't seen a G, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 60 years old. I hadn't seen a GYN in years because I didn't think it was necessary. Um, and as I said earlier, mom, so mom had a, um, hysterectomy well, we thought it was a complete hysterectomy in her thirties as did I. So I never thought that I even had ovaries anymore. Um, so, oh, the so my goodness! Show, so,
0: so you thought you had had a, a complete hysterectomy as well, but you had had only a partial yeah. hysterectomy. Yeah, yeah. My yeah. goodness! So, so your gynecologist yeah. didn't explain to you, I didn't take your ovaries; I only took your uterus. Nope. Nope. <laughs> my goodness! I had no clue. And, and have- allow me to ask you this question too. Who pushed for that yeah. scan? Did you push for the scan or did did you have a great doctor? And that doctor said, listen, your I symptoms. I had a great doctor. Okay. Kudos.
1: Yeah. I had a great doctor. Yeah. I, I Kudos. was at mm-hmm. Cleveland Clinic. So I had a really good doctor. And I have to tell you too, probably worked in my favor was, um, I have a friend who is a breast oncologist at Cleveland Clinic. And I called, she was the person I called right away. And she in turn, called the GYN uh, folks and said, Hey, this is a personal friend. And that I think is what ensured that I got the sort of treatment that I got. Um, Oh, amazing. Because the, yeah. Yeah.
0: Now folks listening, most of us do not have a personal friend who is in the medical field. If they are in the medical field, more than likely based on statistics, they are not physicians. Also, based on statistics, they're not specialists like oncologists and gynecologists and things like that. So that was a blessing that Ms. Polite had a friend who's actually in the field of women's health. But I I want you guys, because most of us are not going to have that type of access. So pay attention to your body. Symptoms of ovarian cancer can be very vague. And that's one of the things that makes this a sneaky type of cancer. It's very Mm -hmm. sneaky. And although it's a cancer that affects older women, meaning women who are older than 40 years of age, it still can occur in younger women. And actually the greatest number of cases occur in women who are over the age of 60. So Mm -hmm. if you're under the age of 60 or over the age of 60, it still can occur, but more than likely most women, most of the cases are occurring in women who are above the age of 60. Some of the things you wanna look out for you mentioned, uh, Ms. Polite mentioned, uh, you. she had urinary tract infections, bladder infections. There's also mm-hmm. an urgent need to urinate. So for oftentimes people will associate the symptom of the urgent need to urinate, um, urgent, urgent, uh, uh, urgency and urination, they'll associate that with UTIs, bladder infections, but that can mm-hmm. be a sign or a symptom of ovarian cancer along with bloating. So I I hear you saying you felt um, you were up, you had upset stomach or felt like you had upset GI, but the bloating pelvic pain as well. You mentioned having back pain. Sometimes what happens, pain gets referred. So it starts somewhere else, but it's referred to another part of the body. So it may have been sort of subtle pelvic pain that was referred to your back Um, fatigue. And we already said upset stomach. Those are some of the symptoms that you'll that people experience, women experience when they have ovarian cancer. So, folks, pay attention to that. If this is happening to you, go and see your doctor. If you're feeling different, if you're not feeling like your usual self, and you feel like your health has changed, go and see someone, please. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Miss Polite. No,
1: no, no. I mean, I think I, I I'm I'm so honored that we're even having this conversation because it's a, such an important one. So, so anyway, um, the gyn. Um, ran a a CAT scan and said, uh, you know, you have ovaries and uh, the ovary on the left is abnormally large and the ovary on the right looks like it's about the size for somebody your age. Uh, But I'm going to refer you to, based on your mother's history, I'm going to refer you to a GYN oncologist. And at first I was like, well, why? And she said, oh, just you have a lot of the signs. I said, okay. So um, the next day, and now this oncologist at, at Cleveland Clinic is, um, uh, according to my girlfriend, the best one there is there. Um, and um, should I mention her name? What do you think? Dr. Day? should I mention I th- the woman's name?
0: I think you should, yeah. Shout out to her.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, shout out to her. Her name is Dr. Suarez Mora. And um, we met the following day after I saw my regular GYN. Mm-hmm. And uh, she looked at um, all the tests and the, and the results and said, listen, um, there there's too many markers here that would have me hesitate with um, saying that you need surgery. So I'm going to say you need surgery. We'll know more once we get inside and see what's going on. And um, I I actually, and I, I mentioned to you my daughter and how old my daughter is. I actually, because she's the first person I call and said, what should I do? What should we do? And she says, "No, nah, you got to have it. You, you got to, you know, there's no question. There's no hesitation. We got to do this. And um, and so anyway, I said, okay, so we'll do that. And she said, so when are we scheduling this? And, you know, my schedule was going to call you. And I said, well, I still have to take care of my mother. So can we wait a little bit? And she said, well, I would prefer that. You know, we had this big exchange about timing. And nevertheless, I because I just thought, well, this is, this is going to be a happy surprise for them. Um, I said, okay, we'll delay it. Um, and in my head, I was thinking, let's wait until mom's birthday would have been December fifteenth, and I was like, okay, she's she's gonna probably be gone by December fifteenth. We'll wait, and then after that, maybe by the holidays, I'll have to have this done. Um, fast forward, Mom passed away on August twenty sixth, and um, and I had been ignoring calls from the oncologist's office um, from July to August, and she actually called. Um, the day the mom passed and said that she herself called and said, we need to have a conversation because I need to schedule you. Um, uh, your situation is sitting, She that's what she said, heavy on my heart. Um, oh my and gosh. I knew it was because, you know, um, I thought it was because, you know, my friend was her friend. And so, um, but she said, your situation is sitting heavy on my heart and I wanted to get this over with. And I said, okay, um, well, my mother just died today and mm. I was, hysterical talking to her hysterical um she said okay i'm going to give you two weeks because i know this is very emotional but Mm -hmm. my scheduler is going to put you um on the schedule um well it took me longer than two weeks to get over the i'm still dealing with the fact that i no longer have a mother and a father all within a six month time span Uh, but the schedule the uh, scheduler scheduled me for november 5th we went in um they went in they they thought they were going to go in through um Um, laparoscopic so they were going to go in through my belly button but I had had previously uh, hernia surgery so I had mesh there Um, and so um, that uh, prohibited them from going in through um, the belly button and so they made their three incisions on the left and two incisions on the right and um, they did the surgery she told me that what would have taken uh, an hour and a half to two hours took five and a half hours largely because the ovary on the left, which they said was enlarged, was actually fused. The ovary, the fallopian tubes, and my colon were fused together. So um, that um, wow. ended up being actually a lot more uh, complicated. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Sounds like it was a very um, then, complicated uh, surgery. Yes, it was. Indeed it was. And, and you know, she stressed that. And... Um, and then they, they uh, immediately after the surgery, they gave me a treatment, a chemo treatment called HiPEC, um, uh, H-I-P-E-C, and she said what it is. It's actually a chemotherapy wash. They go through the whole area and treat it um, internally. And, um, and I don't know whether or not this is something that's specific to the Cleveland Clinic, but um, she said that this was something that she has done, had done before. And um, that if she saw any evidence after that, that then we would talk about treatments after the surgery, but she felt that the, um, because we were early enough and uh, that the HIPPIC um, treatment would um, be good. And um, I guess about two weeks after she would call, I had the surgery. uh, I stayed in the hospital one day, uh, came home the following day and she called pretty much either she or her nurse called pretty much every day for the first two weeks. I was in a lot, a lot, a lot of pain. I went Mm -hmm. home with Oxycontin and I wanted to get myself off of it very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was really, you know, I was trying to do that thing that we do as black women, which is like grit and bear it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then she said to me, you're going to be in pain. You know, you had a very complicated surgery, take the medicine, take the medicine, And, you know, if I think that you're running too long, I'm going to tell you, okay, that's enough, but take it. And so, you know, I sort of like started taking it as I needed it instead of, you know, I was saying, Daryl, my husband would try to give it to me. And I said, no, 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 I'm weaning myself off. And I would be in such extreme pain. And, uh, you know, my daughter said to me, who the hell do you think you are, superwoman? Take the medicine. And she flew in, my daughter flew in from New York to help as well. And that really that really made a difference because I also wanted um, to demonstrate to her that Mm -hmm. we as black women need to be um, aware of what's going on with our bodies and need to be advocating for ourselves because I thought I was, but I really wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, as I said to you, when we had a conversation, mom saved my life because I would not have, I would not have followed up quickly as she had suggested. And um, I would have pushed back and pushed back.
0: Yes. And I have a comment to make about that. You were placing your mother ahead of yourself, as most of us do, even during your moment. Even during your moment of physical decline, Um, because the surgeon wanted to schedule you for surgery. She wanted to move on it fast because the thing I want listeners to know is this when cancer or if there's a, a abnormal cells or there's cell growth or. Um, it appears there's cancer. There's a family history of cancer, especially a family member who's so close to you, that being your mother. Yeah, It's serious. You got to move fast because time is of the essence when we're dealing with these types of uh, uh, physical health challenges, because cancer can spread like, you know, quickly. And so waiting yes. a week or two weeks really can make the difference between life and death. So I'm so happy that you, um, you know, you eventually called her and to schedule this, but you, you know, you mentioned yourself that you delayed it for a little bit. So I'm glad that you did get in there and she called you and, you know, God is so good where this whole, yes, this whole divine thing occurred where she called you on the day of your mother's transition.
1: Yeah. And said that I was heavy on her heart. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Now, now
0: your daughter is how old?
1: 31.
0: Yeah. And so what has your gynecologist or your daughter's gynecologist said to her? What are they doing for her to ensure that she's safe, that she's safe from, so, uh, from ovarian cancer as much as possible anyway?
1: Yes. So she, as I said, lives in New York. She um, recently got a new doctor. Um, she's given them the whole, um, health history for us. Um, and, uh, they've been doing, they're doing a barrage of tests and they continue to do the tests and, excuse me, are, um, have already told her, okay, there's certain things that you're going to have to, you know, um, because we also have breast cancer in our family. And so they told her that, um, they schedule her for a mammogram. I think when she gets back, she's here for the holidays. She's got, um, a mammogram that she's got to do. Um, she's already done a pelvic scan, you know, they're, they're really, um, she found a really great African American woman um, mm-hmm. who is uh, a little bit older than her, and she's very comfortable with her. Um, mm-hmm. But it it is it she is aware, and and the other thing, is, you know, she 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 happens to be a um, a researcher, so she understands um, the importance and the significance of you know knowing your history and and really um, advocating for yourself and and and, and your health because. You know, these things are can be generational curses, or they can be um, generational lessons that um, we learn and move away from. You know,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so, some of that you mentioned that they're doing a lot of tests for her. Some of the blood tests that they can do, um, there's there's tests called tumor markers. Um, do you recall if when your mother was diagnosed, that your doctor recommend checking your tumor markers to determine nope. if your I levels were that. elevated?
1: No, hmm. no okay. tumor markers. No, they did. Um, I did do the BRCA, BRCA mm-hmm. um, testing and it came back negative. Um, and uh, you know, the crazy thing about that is that I had a cousin, I have a first cousin, my my um, dad's brother's daughter, who um had breast cancer and uh, eventually succumbed to um, you know, the cancer spread because she too was she was Baha'i and sort of like, you know, did things a natural way. And anyway, she succumbed and uh, she had two daughters, both tested uh, negatively for uh, BRCA as well, but one decided to just as uh, a precaution had a total um, um, mastectomy. mastectomy. Okay. So, yeah. Just to um, ensure that she wouldn't have to face any challenges. Um yeah. So, yeah, it, it is, I think, you know, that, that old terminology, knowledge is power. It's important for us um, to really, especially um, as families, you know, with with uh, moms passing and our cousins we've been in contact with, we've been saying, I've been saying that to them and to my sisters, knowledge is power. And that doesn't mean just saying knowledge is power, but it means taking that power that you have from the knowledge and doing something, you mm-hmm. know, getting yourself checked out, reading researching, asking questions, you know, making sure that you know what, what, what's working for you and what's not working for you and give yourself a voice when you're in the room with your doctor. I was one that, um, you know, I go to the doctor's office and the next thing, you know, we're girlfriends, we're talking about the kind of shoes each of us has on and, you know, earrings and lipstick or whatever. And my husband would get so pissed that he started saying, I'm going into that room with you because you're coming out telling me about somebody's shoes and I really don't care about that. I care about what's happening with your health. And so at these visits, he is, and he's a very no-nonsense kind of person and he would be the person to say, okay, so what's going to happen when that happens? Okay, so what does that test mean? Okay, so where are we going? And questions that I would have never asked. And Mm -hmm. um, I think if you can and when you can, when you have somebody that can be there with you, if it is that you have that Uh, I think they call it the white coat syndrome or something like that. When you're, you sometimes hesitate to ask important questions, get somebody in there who's not going to be intimidated and, you know, will be your partner in this journey.
0: Yeah. Who will advocate for you. You know, I tell people all the time to keep a journal and write questions down because lo and behold, when you get in the room, you'll forget, you'll get there. and You'll say, Oh my God, I had a million and one questions, but I can't remember one right now. Um, Yeah. So, Black women are less likely to have the genetics of their tumors analyzed. It sounds like your mother did. Do you know if your oh. your tumors were, when they removed your ovaries, they sent them to pathology, I'm sure. Did yes. they come back and yes. tell you? Okay.
1: Yes. Yes, they did. And they said that um, the pathology report showed no cells detected. So okay. no additional cells, everything was fine. And she okay. said that was all because of early detection.
0: Yeah. Yeah, early detection is absolutely the reason why some women survive breast cancer and and some will not, because when ovarian cancer is found in its early stages, treatment is more effective when it's in the early stages. Now, some of you may be asking, what are some risk factors for ovarian cancer? Well, risk factors are still unknown. We don't know, but some doctors and some researchers believe that endometriosis which yep. you guys, I don't have time to go into that, but that's an, an abnormal situation with your your uterus, with the lining of your uterus. Some people believe that endometriosis, also a family history of ovarian cancer, as what Ms. Mm-hmm. Polite has been describing for the last 40 minutes nearly, Also, increased age, those are all factors that may contribute to ovarian cancer. So it's important to know your family medical history. You need to know about things like if anyone's ever had an early heart attack or a stroke, the cancers Mm -hmm. that you have in your family history, and as well as obesity and poor diet may also increase the risk as well. So those are some of the risk factors we believe, but it's still unknown what the exact risk factors are the best way to deal with ovarian cancer to try to prevent complications from it is to detect it early. We detect it early by going to see our gynecologist. Now, Ms. Polite, you mentioned that you're 60 and that you had stopped going to the gynecologist, which really is, you know, that has been the recommendation. If you have had negative pap smears, which you guys know pap smears check for cervical cancer. Initially, when we're younger and when we're sexually active, It's recommended that you go to the gynecologist every year. But once you've had so many normal pap smears, then the recommendation is that you go once every three years. And then once you reach a certain age, most doctors will say, okay, you don't need to come in as frequently as before. And so sometimes because we don't know the potential of the things that can go wrong in our bodies, we believe, okay, I don't need to do this anymore. So Miss Polite, I think your situation is definitely a testament, a testament to other women that, hey, go in, even if you go once every five years, once every three years, go in, let them examine you because besides taking... Um, that um, that that sample from your your cervix to do the Pap smear, they also will place um, while they're examining you while their fingers are inside of your your and in your inside of your genitalia. They'll also press on your your pelvis. They'll press on your belly because some gynecologists will be able to feel if your ovaries are enlarged. Some gynecologists can discover that from a physical examination. And then if you have a family history, this is another important reason that you want to be diligent, you want to go in, um, and you want to give yourself the best opportunity to survive and to be able to beat the cancer if, in fact, unfortunately, you do, you are or become diagnosed with something like this. So approximately 70% of patients with ovarian cancer are diagnosed at an advanced stage. So if you're in that Uh latter stage, it has a poor prognosis, which is what we heard regarding your mother, Dr. Abrams, it has a poor Mm -hmm. prognosis. And um, even after aggressive and immediate treatments, it still has a poor prognosis. So um, Mm -hmm. I'm so happy that you shared your story today. I'm so happy
1: you gave me the opportunity. I wanted to say also that, uh, an, um, an FYI, I didn't know that uh, endometriosis was, um, uh, could be, you know, there was a correlation because that's the reason why I had to have a hysterectomy in my 30s. Oh my goodness. Um, Are
0: you serious?
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, no, I'm oh, absolutely serious. Wow. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so, and, you and know, I,
1: my youngest sister also has, is dealing with endometriosis now, so I have to make sure I yeah. Make her aware of that. Let
0: her know that. And so, this is this. And so, when we talk about the disparities and the racial disparities in healthcare, some of what you're saying, Miss Polite, is why we have these disparities. It's not necessarily lack of awareness. And in your situation, it's not a socioeconomic factor. Sometimes folks who are um, financially challenged, who are considered impoverished, don't have health insurance, they don't have access to care, so they can't get physical exams, they can't see the doctor. In your situation, to me, it sounds like, the racial health disparity is is more so because of the limited information sharing that came from some of the members of your medical team, such as not making it clear to you that they did not take your ovaries, that you still have your ovaries, and that there is a possibility that you could later down the road, especially considering you had endometriosis, that you could develop ovarian cancer which is the most lethal gynecological malignancy, by the way, it's the most Mm, mm, lethal mm. female malignancy. And it disproportionately Mm, mm, affects African-American women. So to any of my colleagues in the medical field, medical physicians, medical doctors who may be listening to this, please, please do right by your patients and talk to them, talk to them, Don't limit yourself to talking about the superficial things like, you know, Uh, like you were saying, the shoes and the earrings and things like that. Get into the weeds, get into it with your patients and talk to them, teach them, educate them, because we're supposed to be doing information sharing when we're seeing patients. It's not just about us knowing and not sharing that information with our our patient. Those days are over where physicians were considered godlike. Because we knew everything and and those doctors weren't telling their patients anything. So they weren't giving the patients the opportunity to go out there and do the research to become better informed. So we need more information sharing when we go behind closed doors with these physicians, man. And sometimes physicians hold back, especially if the person is of Um, the African diaspora, if they're brown or, you know, um, melanated, the physicians hold back and they're not sharing information. So these racial disparities are not just simply because of socioeconomic factors and lack of awareness. There are many other reasons as well. And I'll say this, African American women, the genetics of their tumors are, are oftentimes not analyzed. They're not receiving full Mm -hmm. pathological surveys and reports and that is not helpful it's not helpful to the patient and it's not helpful to that woman's children you know or her sister or her mother right because we know right. these types of things are in, are passed on in dna and genetics and this is why black women have more lethal cases and have more cases of this deadly cancer it's because the doctors are not sharing the pathology of the tumor Mm -hmm. so let's switch gears just a little bit um I want to ask you about your mental health during all of these things you were trying to manage we're coming down to the wire here we're almost finished we're wrapping it up I don't mean to keep you but you have to absolutely talk about your mental health and wellness during a time when your father had just transitioned succumbed to his illnesses your mother was diagnosed with the most lethal female cancer and Mm -hmm. while she was trying to fight and stay alive you were diagnosed with the same thing Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. how did you make well, it I can me?
1: tell you it um um actually uh my my I was gonna say my my co-worker who my boss who was actually a friend um I would talk to him a lot and he said you don't need to talk to me you need to talk to a therapist you really need to talk you're dealing with a lot um I have been you know yeah, I think you're you're probably the one person that I've shared with outside of my family circle that this all happened. You are the only person I've shared it with um, outside of my family circle. I don't, I, you know, I, um, as I said earlier, I'm from the Caribbean, right? So, you know, I've been sort of conditioned to be able to just suck it up, you know, to just deal with it. But what's challenging for me is seeing my children and their reactions. I mean, and they're adults. My daughter is, you know, emotionally, and this, let me tell you, this is a sad part of it. So my daughter and my mother were extremely close. And the day before my mother's going home ceremony, my daughter and her boyfriend were driving from New Jersey to um, Georgia and were rare ended and had um, a, their car was totaled. They were both hospitalized and they're still dealing with being treated for. She had a severe concussion he had um, uh, damage, nerve damage and the like, and, and they're still dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, even if I wanted to break down, I have to make sure that because after mom's funeral, I flew to New Jersey to make sure that she and he were both going to be OK. And mm-hmm. our son, who as I said is 35, is a basket case. I'm certain now um, he and his fiance were here for the holidays. I'm certain that he's dealing with something because. Uh, in the middle of dinner, there was a giant, you know, breakdown. And it was, it was, it was quite emotional, right? Because this is our first holiday without my mom or my dad. And, um, you know, we're a very close-knit family. And and so it was tough. It was really, really tough. And I think probably we all need some help. Um, And, you know, it's, it's, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to go about seeking support. I don't, it's just, Um, it has not been a part of my DNA, so I don't know what to do. We just deal and move on. Um, you know, one of my girlfriends got me a journal and said, start writing stuff down, but I don't even trust myself in writing things down. I just, um, so in answer to your question, I have not been dealing with my mental health. I've just been, um, reading inspirational messages, reading the Bible and hoping and praying that it'll get me through the fact that, you know. No longer do I have my mother or my dad, who, by the way, my mother was my home girl, my ride or die, the person I could tell my deepest secrets to and knew that it would stay right there with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my dad, even in his demented state, when, if there were any battles, he would say, give me, I got I to I get him a cuff. You know, it's just we were just that kind of family. And so I don't have that anymore. Um, my aunt said to me um, after the funeral, well, D., you're not the matriarch. You're the person that's got to carry your family, the rest of your family on. And I thought, geez, really? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's, that's my response to your question.
0: Okay. So maybe I can help refer you, um, you and the family so that you can seek mental health intervention. Um, we can talk offline once we, we finish yes. here and yeah, I can share that. I will gladly share that information with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for coming on and uh, allowing yourself to be vulnerable and sharing, you know, your personal medical information to to help other people. And you know what? You're doing it on the first day of Kwanzaa. Today is Amen. the first day of Kwanzaa. Yes. And the first day is about unity.
1: Yes, it is. That's beautiful because yeah, it, that's you know I I I gave our family a um a a hashtag and it's together we can and we will, so um, this is most appropriate, and um, you know I can tell you that the hospice people they after mom died they gave us a a um, a mental health person to talk to myself and my siblings, and my brother after like three minutes says yeah no it was like I'm not be, trying to be disrespectful. Woman was the cockeyed fat white lady and was just amazed that we both had a mother and a father. and We grew up in the house with the two of them. And then my brother just said, yeah, no, nah, this is not for me. And he got off the call. And then my sister who is um, a veteran said, yeah, and, you know, and so it was just me and my youngest sister that sort of went through the process. And it was really, it was not effective. It was almost disrespectful, not almost, it was disrespectful in many ways, but oh, You know, as I said, we do need, we do need some supportive somehow.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, man. So listen, this is why cultural sensitivity is so important in the practice of mental health, not just with the gynecologist and your primary care. But also with the folks you seek mental health treatment from and with. And that's why DRT Behavioral Services was, was created. Shout out to all of the practitioners who work with me on my team the therapist, Coach yeah. Philip Wells, Jamila Trimble, Consuela Davis, the nurse practitioners who work with me. Um, you know, it, it's so that we can offer mental health inter- interventions to folks who look like us and we look like them. So I'm glad you mentioned that because it really does make a difference because people come with their own preconceived notions about what a Black person is like.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And that is no bueno. Yeah. Yeah,
1: you said it. You said it.
0: All right. Well, thank you again, Ms. Polite. I'm so glad that you were able to come on. Uh, may both your parents rest in peace. And thank you for thank you. providing this information for my community of listeners, the folks they'll share it with. You know, this is what Day One of Kwanzaa is about.
1: Amen. I'm so I'm so honored, and i and I mean, you know, from hello, I knew I loved you, and this really allowing me <laughs> to be able to tell my story is beautiful. And I just thank you very much for your time. And for the support, and I, I will follow follow up, um, because I do, I, I am 100% sure I'm in need of some sort of mental health support, for sure.
0: Yes, ma'am. I gotcha. All right, guys. Thank you. So, you're so welcome. Everyone stand by. I'm wrapping it up. I'm going to leave you with some last parting words, but we're going to let Miss Polite get off the couch. Thank you guys for listening to all of this information. We talked about Kwanzaa and I thought Kwanzaa was a good way to introduce Dion Polite and to talk about her mother, Dr. Abrams, because first day of Kwanzaa is unity. It's about unity, unifying the family, the community, our nations. So I want to leave you with a last few words. Go to the doctor, go to the doctor, go to the doctor. If you're a woman, you need to see your gynecologist yearly, initially, if you're in your 20s and your 30s, you get into your 40s if you haven't had an abnormal pap. And I'm no gynecologist, and this is not clinical advice. This is not a fish. This is not a patient-doctor relationship. So please don't quote me on this. Please see your primary care doctor. And that person can then give you the exact specific recommendations. But I do know if you've had normal pap smears, you don't have to go every year. However, you need to check in at least every two or every three years, because there are other parts of the woman's reproductive system that can develop problems. Besides our cervix, which is what a pap smear is checking on is your cervix. There's our uterus. If you haven't had a hysterectomy, and if you have had a hysterectomy, you want to ask if you had a total hysterectomy. If you had a partial hysterectomy, that means your ovaries were left and more than likely the fallopian tubes as well. If you had a total hysterectomy, they took everything, the ovaries, the fallopian tubes, the uterus. But if you had a partial, remember, you still have your ovaries. Those ovaries have fallopian tubes connected to them. So you want to ask about that. And you also want to go and check in and have those things examined and, you know, have your doctor check you. They can check for uh, blood levels of tumor markers. They can do a physical examination. In addition to your pap smears and your, gyneco- your gynecological examination, you need to be doing your self breast exams. We should be doing that every month. You shouldn't do it right before your menses because we know our breasts are lumpier right before our menses. So talk to your primary care and your gynecologist about when you should be examining your breast. And if your man or your boyfriend tells you they feel a lump when they're examining or filling or touching your breast, believe them and go and see someone. Also, you should be having a mammogram. Mammograms in Black women, I believe, should start at age 35 yearly, or it could be age 30. Um, again, don't quote me on this. I'm not sure. I am not a gynecologist. I'm not an oncologist, but I know you need a mammogram, so see your Primary care doctors, see your gynecologist. For some women, their gynecologist serves also as like their primary care doctor because they see them most often, especially if you're healthy. Just know you need a mammogram, you need your gyne exam, um, and pay attention to your body. If you're noticing symptoms, if you're noticing your bloating, you have upset stomach, you feel tired all the time, you have an urgent need to urinate, you have pain in your pelvis or your back, go get that checked out. Start with your primary care doctor. And if you're seeing your gynecologist on a regular basis, it doesn't hurt to make an appointment with them also to go in and see them. So thank you for joining me on the couch tonight with Dion Polite. I hope this helps someone. Please share this information with another woman in your life, whether it's your sister, your daughter, your girlfriend, your mama, your aunt, your grandmother. Share this episode with someone because we all need to hear this information. Thank you, and enjoy Kwanzaa this week, guys. We're coming up on the new year. 2022 is right here. Brain love. What's up, guys? So I just want to remind you about the ways you can follow me. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm Dr. Delvina at D-R, D R D S and Delta E L V I S and Victor E N A. I no longer have a Dr. Delvina Twitter or a Dr. Delvina Facebook professional page. Both of those were unpublished. Um, I won't get into the details of that, but um, instead of following Dr. Delvina on Twitter, follow the office Twitter page, which is which is D R T. Brain Love, D-R-T, Brain Love, B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E, D-R-T, as in Dr. T, D-R-T. And on Facebook, you can follow the Brain Love Podcast. And of course, if you are not following me on Instagram, follow me at Dr. Delvina. And my website is Dr. Delvina, Dr. Shorten, D-R, and then Delvina, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A, dot, Help, H-E-L-P, as in help me, help me, Dr. Delvina. And um, tell your friends, tell everybody about the Brain Love Podcast. Please subscribe. Subscribe either on Pandora, on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. If you're on Anchor, subscribe on Anchor. Show me some love, y'all. Show me some love. That's right.